This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, Ontario's right to disconnect law is now in effect, but will it work? Dr. Basim Gohar, psychologist and assistant professor at the Department of Population Medicine, University of Guelph, helps us understand how we can successfully disconnect from work and why it's so hard to do in the first place. Handy Andy Barrar is back and continues on his journey to be the laziest and most efficient gardener in Canada at the same time. He also breaks down all the amazing features coming to Apple users this year. Going to make your messages easier, by the way. Plus, are you okay? with the lost and found and so much more it's all here on the shift daily podcast this is the shift podcast are you okay with brennan kelly dj bk wearing red today it's weird if you don't know the history of this bk always wears black and all of a sudden out of the blue there's a dude in red it's not true. I we went through this last summer. Once the summer hits, get a little red, get a little blue. But when it's all rainy and foggy, all black all the time. <laughs> so you don't need a weather person in your life. You just need BK's wardrobe. Pretty much. All right. It's not a bad look at all. Well, Thanks good on you. Thank you. Yeah. I like the red. I like the color. Are you okay with I think green would look nice on you. Just saying. Won't do it. Yeah, he's got the ginger beard, man. The green will look good. Won't do it. Love green. Are you okay with Lost and Found? Uh, The Lost and Found. I mean, like, in theory, yes. But uh, you know what the problem with the Lost and Found is? It's grubby. It's uh, it, the smell. They all smell the exact Ooh. same, and they just smell like a stale closet. An old and, man's uh, bedroom. Yeah, so it's, it's like, you know... Yeah, right. And like you're in elementary school and you lost a mitt or a toque or something. So your teacher said, go check in the lost and found. I would rather just lose it. I just never, I never found it. I never got anything good out of there. Never got what I needed. Well, I don't know if you're supposed to go shopping in there, right? I think you're supposed to look for the things you lost. No, that's what I was saying. I never found what I needed, what I, like what I lost. Sorry, I should oh. have specified that. Consumer Ooh, brain. a blender. In there. Like, it's not like that. Mm-hmm be concerned if there was a blender in the lost and found we never know someone could lose it it does come in handy when you lose something and you need to find it have you checked the lost and found it's true my daughter lost her cell phone she found it in the lost and found really that's a lucky success story at the calgary stampede nonetheless oh that's really at the stampede Mm -hmm. someone turned it in Uh, it's rare that you find what you're looking for in lost and found bin, or in Ryan's case, uh, some new fancy items. Mm. Who knows just how many single <laughs> mitts and toques wind up in Canadian lost and founds throughout the year? Well, one company actually tracks what gets lost in their cars, and that's Uber. Uber is back with the sixth annual Uber Lost and Found Index, revealing the most surprising and most popular items left behind over the last year. Any guesses? Top 10 most commonly forgotten items? I mean, it's obvious cell phones are the top Cell phones. Has to be cell. Yeah. Encyclopedias. Mm. Turns out that one didn't make the list this year. Darn it. Oh. Yeah. It's a great guess, though. Well done. Uh, phones with cameras, but phones. The wallet. Mm-hmm. The keys. 
the satchel, whether that is the backpack, the purse, the whatever, the personal items bag. You know what you never lose in the back of a taxi with personal items? A good old school fanny pack. Just no, because that's on your person, you know? Rats that's around right. the least. That's not going anywhere. And the style cues. Headphones slash speaker, which is weird to me, uh, the speaker part, let's be honest. Yeah. Why would you bring that in you? Ooh, there's this gentleman who rides in on the train with a loud speaker. Just oh out. yeah, yeah. He and he likes to listen. Does he have to it on his eight, shoulder. Eighties hair metal. Yeah, he usually has it in his knee on the train, and like it's so loud that it overpowers my earbuds sometimes. So that's always oh, wow. good. Yeah, that's good. Um, just rocking out, you know. Uh, glasses, which I'm assuming is eyeglasses, not just yeah. wine glasses. I mean, wine glasses, maybe. It makes sense if you've been enjoying wine. Forget your mm. glass. Clothing. What's going on in the back of the Uber? <laughs> Uber. I don't want to know. I kind of do. Yeah. Um. Vapes. Are people still doing that? Sense. Yeah, apparently all the kids are doing it these days, right? I think that you've uh, you've just graduated now that you're old, and you're the oldest guy at the bar. See earlier in the week on the shift. Um, yeah, the young kids these days, Ryan, they're vaping. They're also listening to the hip hop. The hip hoop. Yeah, exactly. Um, jewelry found in the back seat. Which I still don't understand what kind of jewelry you lose. See earlier comment about clothing coming off, maybe. No, I I get this one. I lose my ring at least once a day. I take it off to wash my hands or put hand sanitizer on or something, and I lose it. So that one makes sense. But hopefully it's just like rings that people are losing and not other. You don't need to take a necklace off in an Uber. There's no reason for that. Or no. Like a nose ring. Mm. Nipple ring. Yeah. That'd be weird. Definitely not that. Don't take that off in the Uber. Mm. Uh, ID also gets lost. That one makes sense, of course. See earlier comment of the wallet. Why not just have a wallet? Even better. You know how you don't lose your ID? Fanny pack. Mm. Solves all problems. Ten most forgetful cities, according to Uber. Number one for two years in a row, Austin, Texas. Charlotte, Mm. North Carolina. Houston, Texas. Indianapolis, Indiana, Dallas, Texas, Holy Texas, yeah, Kansas guys, City, Kansas, uh, Atlanta, Georgia, Tampa Bay, Florida, Columbus, Ohio, and Phoenix, Arizona. Nike seems to be forgotten most, followed by Louis Vuitton, Gucci, Samsung, and Apple products. Holy moly, can't these, no wonder these people ride in Ubers because they spend their money on Louis Vuitton. Otherwise, they could buy their own vehicle. Um, what are the weirdest things forgotten in Ubers? Do you have that, right? What are the oh yeah, I've got that. Let me uh, let me give you a couple. Okay. Uh, how about uh, five hundred grams of caviar? Oh, of course. Why wouldn't you? Specific. About yep. It. You know how you don't lose your caviar in the back of an Uber? Eat it. Fanny pack. <laughs> That's a and stinky fanny pack. Also, eating it doesn't necessarily mean you're not going to lose it in the back of the Uber, especially if you've right. been enjoying the wine glass, stuff in the wine glass. Oh, earlier. Yeah, yeah, that's not a pleasant thought. Uh, we also have um, a, I'm going to change the language a bit on this one, a shifty painting of a moose. Insert swear word where I said shi- uh, shifty. Oh, okay. 
Yeah, just a moose. Uh, we also have a uh, <laughs> part of a soft serve ice cream machine. Oh. A metal leg painting oh. of Kung Fu Panda and pink air pump shaped as a pig. Couple of paintings. Hmm. Uh, quite a, yeah. Um, an urn. Mm. That sucks. Uncle, Uncle Bob. Uh, <laughs> this one's just a bucket of slime. Oh, no. Also, also Uncle Bob. Uh, 10 pounds of hamburger meat. Oh, very specific. You thought the sushi smelled bad. Yeah. This, yeah, this is one of person. my personal favorites. A dart that says, quote, unleash the beast. Oh, you know, <laughs> that guy's just fun at to. the bar. Very fun at the bar. And uh, there's 50 here, but uh, this this is an excellent one here. My grandma's teeth. That's all it says. So I'm assuming somebody <laughs> filed the lost and found is, hey, I lost my grandma's teeth in the Uber home. So, like, your grandma didn't lose her teeth. You lost oh, your lost grandma's, grandma's teeth. teeth. So what were you doing with grandma? Why didn't grandma have her, her own teeth? Well, I think that you think you just found the answer to the clothing question right there. Grandma's getting it on. Mm. It all comes together. Look at that. We just told a story with a beginning, middle, and end. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> Are you okay with... Temper tantrums. Oh, my dog throws them all the time. She's so dramatic. Yeah. yeah. Does she kind of just like, you know, uh, plant her paws on the ground like hard and then kind of like just, you know, move back and forth really quickly and just look frustrated? Or does she like give you the cold shoulder? No, she uh, looks at me and she stands there and she clenches her jaw together, like snaps it like. And she then she usually like yawns with it like a, a whiny yawn like a, something that like a Chewbacca sound like and then snaps her jaw again and then bumps into me and snaps her jaw again I'm like what do you want she throws a temper tantrum because she can't get what she wants that's the way it goes it's hmm, my like life it though that's cute uh, we all have bad days. Never a good idea to take your anger out on something, especially when you're surrounded by ancient artifacts, because that's like a normal Tuesday. Unfortunately, a 21-year-old man who police said broke into the Dallas Museum of Art got upset and destroyed $5 million worth of artifacts during a temper tantrum. Ancient Greek artifacts totaling more than $5 million, along with other items and glass, were destroyed Wednesday night at the Dallas Museum of Art. Disappointed. Many art goers Thursday didn't know what happened until they arrived. Honestly, it's really saddening. Um, I'm a big fan of the DMA. It has such historical art, so it's honestly a tragic offense to the whole Dallas community, and we hope they can recover. Court documents say just before 10 p.m., surveillance cameras caught a man with a metal chair in his hand at the door. Shortly after, a 911 call from inside the museum. The dispatcher told investigators the person admitted he broke in. 21-year-old Brian Hernandez was arrested by Dallas police and is charged with criminal mischief. Police say he was not armed. Augustine Artiega is with the Dallas Museum of Art. I, it was someone that seemed to be angry, and uh, and his purpose was to get his anger uh, 
exercise with the smashing anything that he could find of glass. The responding security guard told police he asked why did he break in. Hernandez's alleged response, he was mad at his girl, so he broke in and started destroying property. The most expensive items destroyed was this 6th century Greek vase and this red figure Pisces, which dates back to 450 B.C. Okay, so it wasn't just H&R that he wrecked. Mr. Hernandez continued through the museum and destroyed a bottle in the shape of the Batu Kahu alligator carfish. <laughs> Thank you. Which was completed <laughs> in 2018 by artist Chase Kawinat Earls, a member of Cato Nation. My apologies, Mr. Chase, if I got your name wrong. Police took him into custody, and Hernandez confessed to the destruction during an interview with a detective. He has been charged with criminal mischief, more than or equal to $300,000, which is punishable by five days to life in prison. His bail was set at hundred grand. he has been booked into Dallas County Jail. Are you okay with... I can't believe on the list of Uber things, because I looked it up now that you uh, shared them. I can't believe you put on a... You didn't say a windmill. That's on the list. That's my oh, mind-blowing did I, to me. Did I actually miss the... Hold on. There's no... There's a ball gag and There's stethoscope. A There's a windmill. There's a oh. spray tan machine. How do you miss the spray tan machine, Rye? There's... I was going through a lot. And I was... Remember, we were trying to finish the story of the grandma. So I was... I guess, you know what? The ball gag and uh, stethoscope might have fit in well with our story. Might have been grandma. Might have been been grandma. grandma. But there's also diamond grills. Oh. And you did grandma's teeth. So I don't know how you... I think you missed the good stuff. (laughs) One in the same. Way to go, grandma. (laughs) Grandma's having a party. (laughs) Are you okay with dogs barking? I'm not a big fan. Uh, no, I do like that dogs have different barks. You know, like they have the angry bark, they have the kind of hey attention bark, and then rarely, at least in Cora's case, my partner's dog, the deep like stay back or you know barking at another dog in like an angry way, anything like that, which I rarely hear. That that's the freaky stuff. But normal bark doesn't happen often, at least with Cora. Um, but it is an annoying sound after a while. Yep. Mm. Little dog barks. Meh. Big dog barks. You know, they rattle the windows. So I don't mind those ones. Scare people away. Yeah. Everybody's... Some dogs are timid. Sorry, buddy. Go ahead. I said, everyone's got something to say. Dogs got something to say. I don't mind. <laughs> Sometimes. I've got to listen. That's a great point. <laughs> uh, some dogs are timid. Some dogs are loud. Great, great Pyrenees in North Carolina has a particularly loud bark. That bark causing controversy in Graham County, North Carolina. Leo's uh, bark does travel, but it's just like, I mean, it's just because he's 120 pounds. Neighbors of seven-year-old Leo, a great Pyrenees, have complained about his barking so much that his owner, Michael Lettings, has paid $750 in noise violation citations and attorney's fees. I have a neighbor that has three or four dogs that bark. My neighbor across the street has dogs that bark. So I think, you know, signaling us out for one dog is a little ridiculous. Those citations forcing Eddings to go to court. Well, I suppose the question is, is how, how much and when? During a court appearance on Tuesday, Leo's owner was stunned to hear what a representative of the Graham County District Attorney's Office offered in terms of a plea deal. He said that uh, if you have the dog's vocal cords removed surgically, they would drop all charges. It is crazy. It is inhumane. 
Removing a dog's vocal cords is a surgery, but it's also illegal in several states. It's banned in Ohio, Massachusetts, Maryland, and New Jersey unless it's deemed medically necessary and must be performed by a licensed veterinarian using anesthesia. And a growing number of vets nationwide refuse to even perform the surgery. Leo's owner says he's willing to negotiate but won't put his dog under the knife. We'll put up a fence things like that, but I'm not going to put on a barking collar and I'm not going to have surgery. The district attorney not defending the assistant DA's suggestion, saying whether offered in jest or seriousness, the suggestion was inappropriate. I am unable to offer additional comment as this is now a personnel matter. Now, I think he misunderstands that story from ABC News when he says, I'm not about to put on a bark collar or have surgery. They aren't expecting him to do it. They're actually expecting the dog to get it, just to be clear. Very clear. Thank you, Shane. You're welcome. Um, yeah, no, you know what? Dogs need that surgery. Um, oh. Be a better parent, dog parent, and teach your dog how to not bark. Graham County Sheriff uh, said deputies have issued several citations to Eddings for both the dog barking and loud music. Oh, this story deepens Ooh. in North Carolina as a particularly loud bark. Now, earlier in the shift, we were just talking about things found in the back of a, of an Uber. I can't believe. I can't believe that you didn't say number 20 on the list of weird things. The Bernie Sanders fanny pack? Come on, man. <laughs> the, the, the plot thickens, man. We, we need to make a sequel. We completed our first good story in Are You Okay with mm-hmm. a Grandma? And now we can piece another one together. And it all comes back together with the Bernie Sanders fanny pack because we said, you know what would happen? None of this would ever happen. You wouldn't lose anything in an Uber without a fanny pack. And yet somehow. Exactly. Unless it's your fanny pack. <laughs> but that's where you put your fanny pack um, inside your fanny pack. And then, then you're going to be right. Yeah. I can't believe you also missed um, number uh, 24 on this list. A Star Wars Yoda headband. And a Darth Vader helmet. Sounds like a good night. Sounds like a great night. Battle duel of the fates. Hi. Can't believe this. I feel let down. Should we do one more? We're good for time. We can do one more, can we? All right. Shrug. I was convinced. I I was nodding. Oh, thank you. Are you okay with Disneyland proposals? Uh, I'm like, they're super cliche. I mean, like, unless you and your partner have like a deep connection to Disney, like Disney movies, like, you know, the whole thing right in front of the castle and all that. I feel like it's just like, that's, that's toast with butter. The equivalent of a proposal is just boring. Mm. For me. Okay. I guess if you both have some kind of connection to Disneyland or your whole life is like a 1990s ABC sitcom um, <laughs> because they were all contractually obligated to have a episode at Disney World where someone proposed. <laughs> I, yeah, I agree, right? Like the cliche part of it. Also, the lack of adult part of it seems weird to me. And I realize some people really carry like Disney in a special, special place from childhood to adulthood. Yeah. But I'm going to be honest here. And I realize it might not be the right thing to say, but I'll say it. I'm going to say it. I'm just going to say it. Can I get this off my chest? Can I just get it off my chest? 
Okay. I guess, you know. I find it really weird when adults are way into Disney characters, like way into it. Disney adults? Yeah. Disney adults are a bit much. It's weird. Sometimes. Right? Like, I mean, I'm glad you love your thing and stuff, but there's a point where I think that you should be the adult that takes the kids. And I'm not, I realize that I'm, that's probably terrible of me and I'm being judgy and I, I don't, that's not my intention, but I'm just being honest. That's what comes up as we say that. Just being, I'm going to be honest with it. It's not the right thing. I, I went to Disney once with some kids and, uh, it was a, a program. It was Dream Take Light. We took some kids to Disney World and it was, cool. it was remarkable. They watched the kids have a great time. It was fantastic. I told Minnie Mouse I had a crush on her. That was it. It's a pretty popular place, though, to propose, apparently, especially specifically right in front of the castle, a magical moment at a magical place. But one oh. Disney employee wanted to prioritize keeping the stairs clear over love. A short viral video shows a man about to pop the question to his significant other in front of the iconic Sleeping Beauty castle. Ah, oh, the prince. But before he can finish the proposal, Disney staff member runs over and abruptly snatches the ring box from his hand. According to the Land bi- Lad Bible, the employee then redirects the couple to capture the romantic moment on a different platform, saying, yes, that's great, but it'll be even better over here. Here is one reaction to the incident from Fox News. This is a Disneyland proposal gone very wrong. Let's keep playing that a couple more times. The memorable moment was ruined by this Paris Disneyland employee who not only scolded this couple, but if you look closely, he snatched the ring out of the guy's hand who was proposing. Epic fail. Raymond. Oh, that's bummer. You better thank God he wasn't on the south side of Chicago. <laughs> the, the to be uh, fair, the guy the guy doing the proposing, they were very chill about having the wedding ring snapped out of his fingers as he was mid proposal. They were aggressively chill about it. It's also worth noting, by the way, I forgot to write it. This is at the Disneyland in Paris. The one uh, in France. Yeah. Oh, that one's still open. It you... <laughs> is still open. It is still a thing. Huh. I didn't yeah. realize that. Uh, may we? Uh, Disney spokesperson decided to address the situation and apologize. They said, we regret how this was handled. Actually, they said, we regret how this was handled. There. There. <laughs> we have apologized <laughs> to the couple there involved and offered to make it right. How do you make that right? Very Quebecois uh, accent for the French well, Disney world. <laughs> yeah, I think no. the Parisians are throwing, are throwing a bit of a fit, which is fair because it's a completely different accent. It's a completely different accent. And besides, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, it's a completely different language from, you know, the, the, <laughs> yes. the Franglais to the Quebecois to the, um, to the French in France. So there you go. All right. That was Are You Okay? I think it was Are You Okay with, mm-hmm. uh, well, regardless, whatever it was, it happened. This is the Shift Podcast. Working from home. Oh, sweet working from home. The benefits of working from home is probably the 10-step commute when the shift is over to go to bed. That's nice. I don't. I like saving the, the gas money. I don't like, you know, driving at nighttime. These are some of the things that working from home for me have become quite appealing since I have not done a live shift show in a studio for two years as of this month. Now, there is got to be a boundary, though, on how much you work. 
whether you're at work or not at work and at home, and the boss calls. Dun, dun, dun. Ontario has passed right to disconnect legislation. What does it all mean? Joining us to talk about it is Basim Gohar, clinical psychologist and professor, assistant professor at the Department of Population Medicine, University of Guelph. That is a long business card. Uh, thanks so much, Basim, for being here. Oh, thanks for having me. So, are we healthy working all this and access to work? Because I've always had the opinion that unless work is paying for my cell phone, I don't want to put the work email on my cell phone. And I don't know if that makes me a bad employee or a good employee. I would like to say that mentally I'm disciplined enough to stay away from work when I'm not at work and stay away from my email, but I probably check it anyway. I just don't check it when I'm at the mall. How are we doing? <laughs> well, I, I think that makes you a smart employee. Uh, you Can know, I get that in writing, I, actually? <laughs> <laughs> you got it. You got it. I think uh, I think it depends on the sector and it depends on the personality a little bit as well. Um, some people, I shouldn't say everybody, but a lot of people actually define or work kind of is a, is, is a big part of their lives that they almost define themselves by it. Um, and that might be just the nature of how things are in North America. So to give you an example, I went to Europe for a conference and every time I go there, I almost don't want to come back because it felt like they had it right. So when I was in Spain, when I was in Greece, for example, over there, they really just, you know, they, they had a job and that job was just a segment of their life. Right. So they work to live while in North America, we're so career oriented that we basically live to work. Um, so I think depending on the personality, depending on the career goals, depending on the nature of the job, right? Um, some people might have a really hard time from disconnecting and that leads to a very stressful environment. And it's not just the personality, but I think it's also the culture that somebody works in. So for example, it depends on the boss that you are working for or the company as a whole, or the, the environment in general, right? Do they, is this like a conducive environment to have boundaries? Or, oh, I just need that one thing. Can you just do this for me? Or, oh, sorry to message you so late, but they still message you late anyway, right? So these are some of the things that sometimes um, large institu institutions, small companies may have, um, and the, it becomes a part of your normal day-to-day. -day. Now, you mentioned something that, I thought it was interesting. And I used to say this way back before a phone used to consume our lives entirely. So this is from a few years back. I used to always tell people, don't send messages to your boss or colleagues with this little sent from iPhone or Outlook or Samsung at the bottom. Right. That implies that you are accessible at any time. That's a great point. And you can delete that very easily in your settings, which is great. They would never know the difference. Absolutely. But, but we do it anyway. Um, and I think sometimes we're just quick to respond. Emails sometimes become a text message, really. Mm -hmm. Right. So you, you, you respond to emails quickly and then you realize, wow, I really haven't disconnected from work. And then when you do that, it's very much behavioral. So if we're thinking psychology here is you feel like you need to constantly check. It's kind of like opening that fridge because you want to see what's in the fridge you close that fridge then you open it again and thinking that something's going to change but it's just that that it's a, it's a behavioral um 
aspects. So you're constantly checking your phone if you have it in your email to see what else is out there. And we, we, the more we check it and the more there's things there, the more likely we're going to check it again and again. And then that really makes the boundaries between our personal lives and our work lives very, very muddy, especially since the pandemic has happened where, you know, you really find this is a big issue and and indirectly, and I can talk about this after, indirectly, I did find that in some of the research that I did with uh, some employees uh, during the pandemic. Well, while you said that, I just deleted the send from my iPhone signature in my <laughs> mail setting. So that's done. There we go. Okay. Uh, good advice. There's so much to to, to bite on there. Um, so let's compare this this mentality. Before we get into the sort of the details of the right to disconnect and unplug, let's talk about that as a notion in general. So in order to talk about the right to unplug, let's talk about being plugged in. And I have this look that it's this drive-through mentality that we have here, right? We're overscheduled, over busy. We drive through everywhere. We grab our coffee, off we go, so on and so forth, right? In Europe, the drive-through mentality is not the same to what you speak of, the live to work, work to live, where coffee time is a chance to sit down and connect with people. You don't grab it on the go on the way through. Now, we could get into the uh, you know the environmental conversation of our wastefulness of uh, single-use plastics and cups and all those things, but we can just look at this quite simply, is that we have too many jobs. And we are overworked, overscheduled. And does this really start there, this right to disconnect? Is this the government saying, by the way, you got to slow down? I mean, because to me, I'm, I'm not a psychologist like you are, so it's not Dr. Shane here. It's Dr. Basm. But the reality <laughs> is, is that it seems blatantly obvious to me that the overwhelm is so much so that we are disconnected or, and this is where I'm, I'm way out of my lane, but I'm going to give it a swing for the fences here. Or our sense of purpose, uh, sense of self-identity, uh, all those things is so shallow, so low, so lost that we only find our identity in work. We can't find it sitting down, having a coffee together, chatting, catching up. Have we just lost the skill to be human? Great question. And I mean, I think that answer will probably be different for many different people, depending on where what their stage is in life. Um, you know, what their culture is, where, and I mean culture because maybe somebody is maybe new to Canada. Mm-hmm. So work is all they have as an example, right? right? Yeah. Um, or the envi- or the, the city that they're in, they're not surrounded by their culture. Yeah. So they, they feel like I'm going to just immerse myself in the world. Yeah, I so can hear that. Yeah. Like away from the family, uh, new city to them, all kinds of different things. Like not even like culture on all levels. Exactly, exactly. I, I do think, <laughs> and you're talking to, when, when we're talking about here, like Bassam, maybe more anecdotally, uh, yeah. this is not based on literature or based on, on clients or anything. But w- one thing that I am seeing is that we are getting a little bit of, a little bit shallow. Um, even, even, you know, I just hear again, anecdotally through friends and colleagues, like even just dating, you know, we've kind of had this, like, what do you call it? Almost like a, a streaming or a Netflix approach to <laughs> just meet people, right? And you don't want to commit to anything. Because you don't know, maybe someone better is out there. So you kind of start to, to scroll, scroll, scroll. So you're not really committing to things. And that has a huge impact on the social, on, on your social, you know, you, there's opportunities to meet people, but you're like, ah, maybe there's something better. And even before the whole Tinder um, and all these apps, but just the idea of actually meeting somebody. So even texting someone, hey, do you want to go grab a coffee? 
oftentimes people will read the message and just ignore it. Oh, they're forgetting and do something else, probably work. Or they might still think of maybe there's something better out there to do as opposed to hanging out with this one person. So I think, yes, I think socially we've kind of merged more into a, uh, I don't know, like a, a virtual world. And again, this is not everybody, right? Yeah. But I, I think there is a bit of that substance and maybe for the younger generations, not, not for everybody again, um, but there is a bit of that. And as I mentioned, it depends on each person in their stage. Some people are really trying to establish themselves, right? Because it could be that I want to be this X career or be in that X career or Y career or whatever. And I am young. I want to have the car and, you know, things like, for example, housing, like look at how expensive housing is. So you're working so hard just so you can say, I have this house or this condo or whatever. So the environment around us is probably not helping our cause because it's telling us what, you know, what success looks like. Right. Um, and that definition kind of is different for everyone, but kind of like, you know, back in the day, we we're saying like having the American dream. I think we have that here, but it's just, it's really, really expensive to have. It's like we accumulate plan B, like we accumulate all of these plan B's because we don't commit to plan A. And, you know, in, in my work, Basm, when I look at what, what this, what this is, I, I, I see that, you know, we talk about this two ways, right? It's like, I know what I want, or I, I don't know what I don't want. Right. Yes. And, and they're, they're distinctly different and remarkably the same. And so yes. uh, at the same time, right. And so, so, so many people don't, they know what they don't want right? They don't know what they want, right? They don't know what they don't want. And the one question nobody can answer is I know what I want. It seems like a mindful and I'm a mind. I I love the mindful study. So the, you know, it seems like a mindful place that we do. But again, mindfulness takes time. You have to sit and you have to be with people. You have to chat with people and say, Hey, how does this affect you? And it's not about about all of that. And we, to me, it explodes into this righteousness of politics and all the other things that are going on, right? Because we don't have time to connect and listen to say, hey, what do you think about this? Not from the per- perspective of trying to make someone right or wrong, just from listening to what they have to contribute. So we have all of these things that are spinning around, short attention spans, right? A lack of identity. All of these things are, are bouncing around. And then we go back to this this conversation about the right to disconnect and looking at work. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, here in this industry, there was a time you're expected to be always available because, you know, news and information happens in the community all the time, right? Things can change quickly, so you've got to be available. And that was always my argument. Well, then give me a phone. Pay for my phone. Um, and even that is not a boundary that I'd be willing to give up anymore. Social media is another one. A lot of different people are like, well, hey, Susie's responsible for the social media account. You know, she's going to go down to the whatever, whatever festival this weekend and take some pictures. So we look like we have a community presence for the business that she works for. You know, these kinds of things are always sort of simmering in the background, more responsibility, more things. And it's evident in the workplace more and more that it is just bad resource management, bad budgeting, bad resource management. Um, Is that really where we need to truly look at this? I mean, the way I see it, when I was, I was reflecting on this a little bit and the fact that the government had to come in and do something like that makes you think that maybe this is a big issue, right? It's a, it's a big enough issue than the government saying, look, you guys need to do something about your culture or maybe if, if this is how it is, then you really need to, we need to put some boundaries. Um, and I think that living in a technological world makes things really, really difficult. 
I'll even give you an, an, another anecdote from way back in the day. Like I'm talking here, 2012, 2011, even I was a, I was a TA back then for a, a, a graduate stats course back in the States. And when a student and mindful over 10 years ago now, mm. I had a grad student email me for with a question. And I said, you know what? This is a question I can answer the next day. Hours later, he resent that same email because it's like, I didn't get my answer. You need to respond to me ASAP. Yeah. And I thought this was just like a one-time thing. And I actually talked to him about it. He's like, oh, well, you know, I, sometimes, you know, you might get a lot of emails. So I thought I would just put it back in your top of your, your mailbox. And, you know, it, it just made me think, I'm like, you know, I'm not, I'm not a robot, mm-hmm. right? So I, I do need some time to disconnect. I need some time to be able to enjoy what's going on around me or try to find enjoyment in the things around me. So I, I think, I think again, I, as I mentioned in another interview, like at face value, the idea sounds like it's good to have the right to disconnect. Um, the one thing that I am questioning is how will this really be implemented? Yeah. Uh, is it going to be effective or not? So I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that it might be a positive thing, but you know, I have, I have a lot of question marks probably just like you. Do. Yeah. Well, I'm going to be the cynic cause uh, this is your profession, not mine. So allow me to be the cynic. It's a lot Please. cheaper for the government to put out legislation like this than it is to invest money into mental health programs. You know what, that that's a possibility too. Um, there are a lot of things that should be done um, in addition to just disconnecting and, having uh mental health supports and as a psychologist i'm telling you we need more mental health supports <laughs> you're not kidding like 100 yeah. like 100 there's no no questions here right there's nothing well here. the irony of overworked in this conversation when you're speaking to a psychologist who's trying to responsibly talk about overworked overwhelm all of right to disconnect you have to understand how overworked and overbooked psychologists are dealing with everybody's heavy problems so the irony here sure. is is inescapable oh for sure, for sure. I mean, I, I used to work in uh, in community mental health um, a few years back, and you know, this is where my research comes in because I look at occupational well being. Um, the amount of turnover and sick leaves that you get in the system is just unbelievable. You know, because what happens is the demand is very high. When you have high demand, people are working beyond their abilities, so then they get overworked, they get burnt out. Then they go on leave. So now you're going to be short-staffed. When you're short-staffed, you're going to work harder and you're going to work longer. And guess what's going to happen? You too are going to go on a sick leave Mm -hmm. and so on and so on. So it's a cyclical issue. So by telling people pay them more, I don't like, that's also nice. It would be nice to have that. But that, I think there needs to be better resources. Uh, There needs to be also way better leadership. So some of the work that I've done, and I was looking at healthcare providers, actually, specifically nurses and PSWs, we found that the work environment that you're in can statistically reduce your risk of going on a sick leave. Hmm. So this is, to me, as someone who, let's pretend that I'm a part of, like, a, in, a, in a government kind of role, and I have money in my pocket that I can give it to businesses, before I even just start putting bills and things like that. The first thing is invest in leadership, invest in having good supportive work environments where people are looking forward to coming to work. You know, um, that's, 
an easy, easy fix right there. Is it going to fix everything? No, I don't think so because no. we're humans and we all have our different needs. But having a supportive work environment will likely improve your well-being and it's not going to want you to leave the profession. That's another thing. So going on sick leave for mental health reasons is one thing. But you talk through the work that I've done, right? So I've looked at healthcare during the pandemic uh, and also other sectors, but mainly the, the the healthcare sector. There's a lot of people saying like, I don't know if this is worth it anymore. Yeah. And that's sad, right? Well, that's very I, sad. Considering that these people are uh, usually have a different breed anyway. Um, healthcare workers are a different type of person. They truly are. I mean, like if ever you wanted to look and, and pr- apply a stereotype, um, you can safely apply a stereotype that most healthcare workers are nurturing, caring. They frankly enable the system because they're willing to work so hard to make sure you're okay at their own sacrifice. Like there is a, there is a magical type of human being that does that job. And so when yeah. they say it's no longer worth it, you know, we talk about the live to work, work to live. These are people that they have applied their identity to their jobs and they're willing to walk away from probably one of the most important things in their lives because it's yeah. no longer worth it. Imagine the magnitude of that. It's, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And it's not just the doctors and nurses and I have like my utmost respect for them, by the way. So, but they're, they're the ones that are frontliners. So you see their struggles the most, or you hear about it the most because they're frontline, but there are also other groups that people don't think of. Uh, one example that will come to mind and it was very pandemic pertinent medical lab technologists. Mm. This is one example here. These people literally are the conveyors of the healthcare system. You cannot have healthcare medical wise, at least without having lab results over like, I think it's 70% or higher of all diagnostics and diagnostics and treatments come from a lab result. So without these people, you basically will have a collapsed healthcare system. Well, I think of how much work they've done testing. My God. Oh my goodness. So they had to do what they are supposed to do to begin with. Right. So they're already like short staffed. So this is what we learned. And this paper is already published is that they're very, very short staffed to begin with. Then the pandemic came and they have to do their duties as is plus add the COVID testing. And I mean, thankfully it's not the criteria change for testing. And I thought that was actually a good thing because where we were stage wise, but the amount of work that they had to do and then put the COVID stuff on top. And then here's the part where I actually thought was interesting. They felt guilty when they actually took time off. So we call that like a moral distress or a moral injury because they know that if they don't show up to work, they're go- they're they could have like they can impact patient care, mm-hmm. and they can leave their staff behind short, right? And doing that is just it's it's frustrating. So imagine even a time where you rightfully deserve to go on a break and take some time off, whether it's vacation or just a staycation, right? And you feel guilty about doing that, right? Yeah. So that that's a whole different. <laughs> But I get it, though. I mean, it hits to me here, right? I mean, our show runs at nighttime. So if I call in sick, that means that, um, you know, there's most likely nobody to do it because you have to pull someone off of a daytime schedule. First of all, Um, scheduling alone is difficult, let alone familiarity with the show. And then on top of that, of course, we always get people who comment and share and say, you know, oh, how come he's off or whatever. And then the audience has an opinion. They're allowed their opinion, right? They, what a compliment is it when they're upset that we're not here? 
So it's a compliment. Now we can choose to look at that and reframe it for ourselves, which is nice. But the reality is, is that have we come to work on this show when we are burnt out, when we are sick? Absolutely we have because of that exact same I feel guilty that we're here. So we go through it. I and So everybody goes through it. Truck drivers go through it because they, you know, no one's going to deliver the stuff and then I've got to work. You know, it's the kind of thing, right? You've got to work uh, seven days worth of work in four days for a long weekend, right? It's that mentality. Yeah. We all go through that. Everybody does. And that that's a well-known construct, actually, which is called presenteeism, which is going, coming to work sick, Yeah. right? And before the pandemic, that was almost an okay thing. Ah, you have a bit of a cold, you have the flu. You know, if you're still able to do your duties, then then show up to work and go anyway, right? Yeah. And but that's that's where people are more likely to to really get sick or really get hurt, and then they affect everybody else. Yeah, right. So. It's fascinating. Well, right to disconnect is officially here in Ontario, and uh, it's not everywhere else. I'm sure we're going to see that these things are going to start to unroll everywhere. Just out of the conversation about mental health, it's not a soft conversation. It's not one of those hippy dippy conversations. It's just, frankly, I think it's a capitalist conversation. I'm a capitalist. I'm a business owner, right? So I look at this from <laughs> the perspective of, well, how do you do? You want to succeed or not? And um, do you want a bunch of burnt out turnover people, or do you want people that are invested like they used to be back in the day in the business for a long period of time? We don't see that anymore. Maybe we could. Maybe we could if people were able to get a chance to to go out and celebrate. But let me ask this question for you. Uh, you know, you're dedicated to your work, Basm. So here's what you do. Wait, how often do you? And this is a question for everybody. How often do you check in on work, even though you're on a day off? At what point? And for me. If I'm off for a long weekend, three days, I will still check in. Four days, maybe. But once I get to like five days in a row where I'm taking legitimate vacation time, that's when I start to be able to unplug and truly leave it behind me. I think that uh, by confessing that, people, uh, everyone else will realize they're not alone in that. What about you? Do you do you get sucked in on the long weekends or are you able to walk away? I I share very much your views. So if it's a short break or I don't have specific appointments or anything like that, I call it, it's almost like a Tetris game, right? You want to keep everything clean yeah. because if it piles up in your head, Hey, is this going to stress me out more when I return to work? Right. Yeah. But I do think that we really need to be able to disconnect and have, you know, time for work and time for ourselves. And it maybe doesn't have to be like after 5 PM because I think, as the as a generation now, we're also looking for flexibility. We're not just looking for working in specific timeframes um, that a boss is telling us to, unless it's like a retail store or something like that where you need to be in specific hours. Yeah. But if it's a job that can be done in, in alternative hours, maybe that's also something that the right to disconnect uh, bill needs to, to look into. How does it work for people that are looking for flex flexible hours? Um, I think the pandemic really sh- like that light is there, right? That maybe we need to think, reconsider how we do business and is it positive or is it negative or do we just need to keep working on it? Well, um, leadership is a big word and leadership is lacking in so many places of, of our world today. The reality is, is that how many sales guys or whatever sales gals that you've seen on a Sunday night, they start reorganizing all their stuff for Monday morning. So their calls are ready. They can get a running start on Monday morning. That should actually be happening on Friday morning. And the business design might be like, well, your budget by the end of the week has got to be this at the end of day Friday, when reality is it should be end of day Thursday. I mean, there's so much bad business design. And that goes back to leadership. 
So it's fascinating. The right to uh, disconnect is there. I encourage everybody in Ontario to read it and everybody across Canada read it because of the fact that you can take a stand here on this one. If you're interested in the four-day work week conversation in all of these things, then if you're interested in, frankly, your, your future of being able to not look like you're 120 by the time you're 55, uh, this, this, is, this is where to go. Um, thanks so much for being here. I truly appreciate it. Uh, Dr. Basim Gohar, clinical psychologist, University of Guelph, and um, a little bit of, uh, little bit of workplace discipline and uh, self-care. Thank you, sir. Thank you. This is The Shift Podcast. I'm Shane Hewitt. I'm in Calgary. We shall go to Surrey, BC for our next guest. Andy Andy Barrar. AndyAndyMedia.com. Follow his YouTube channel. Keep up to date with all of the vids and the posts and the tech reviews and all the things. Uh, Andy, I shared with the shift heads that you have an irrigation problem. I hope that wasn't too much info. No, it wasn't too much info. I, I, I think we have to say in past tense, Shane, I had an irrigation problem. But I fixed it because, you know, me being a DIY guy, I usually start a project, create more trouble, find a solution, (laughs) fix it. And this time, Shane, I made a video process of the entire thing. So you can watch step by step a two part video series on how I built this irrigation system and the first time that I turned it on and everything that went wrong with it. And there's this trend in social videos, Shane, where you want to put the hook right in the beginning of the video. So, of course, in the video that I posted on shiftheads.ca, you could also find it at handyandymedia.com. You'll see the hook right in the beginning of when I turn the system on and the water just shoots right out of the spaghetti line and all over me. Um, but I but I learned the problem and and it got fixed. So you, I highly encourage people to watch this video. It's it's pretty funny. Watch Andy's leaky pipes. Yes, really but, is what it boils down to. But you know, Shane, I have been talking about this since last year. We had that You're heat very dome. Excited, it's true. Just just before the heat dome, I had got all these blueberry bushes. I created these raised garden beds. I got mushroom manure. I set everything up, and I made them critical mistake in hindsight i did not set up the irrigation system before i got those blueberry bushes then we got the heat dome i did not go outside to water the plants because it was just so hot and i was lazy everything died it became a ghost yard of just dead blueberry bushes and at that time i committed to myself to fixing this problem i'm gonna do it again and lo and behold i spent pretty much this whole year obsessing about this and I'm really getting to the end of it now where I'm ready to get blueberry bushes and try again once and for all and, and become a b- micro blueberry farmer. So when are these um, blueberries going to go in? Well, do you know what's funny is I, I posted this uh, irrigation thing on Facebook and the blueberry farmer friend saw it. And he's like, oh, wow, this is a really good setup that you have. And so then I asked him, hey, uh, do you want to make some plant trades again? And he's like, absolutely. Oh, so. So tomorrow I'm getting some more mushroom manure. I'm going to finally set everything up and then I'll go pay my blueberry friend a visit. We'll make a little trade and uh, I'll come back with a bunch of blueberry bushes. 
What are you trading for, Andy? I got these other plants that uh, you know that are new on the scene that uh, you're allowed to grow these days. Starts mm-hmm. with the C. Uh, it's very popular. Carrots. So, oh, yeah, exactly. And so uh, he um, last year I gave him four plants, and uh, he gave me twelve blueberry bushes. So I think that's the going rate right now. So I'm hopefully I can I can make that exchange again. Uh, we cautiously share that story because we're not sure how big the plants are allowed to be in BC and how many <laughs> I know, plants it's you're a allowed very, to have. It's very gray, so you have to talk in gray terms. But I highly green, recommend this irrigation green. system, uh, Shane, that I set up. I have been looking on YouTube. There's all these different ways of how you can water like a vegetable garden. You got like soaker hoses. You have drip emitters. But this system, I'm using these 360-degree emitters. You got to see it in the video. And what's cool about it, it's on the spaghetti line. And you can actually adjust where you put these emitters. And what I'm going to do is I already have plants growing there. But in the future, when I transplant plants, because the emitter, you know, the, you can see where the water is shooting. So you just drop the plant right where that water is going. And it's probably the most efficient, modular way to water your vegetables. And you know me, I, I encourage everybody to grow their own food. And so I want to practice what I preach and I'm incredibly lazy when it comes to watering. So this, if, if you're like me, you got to check this system out because it's a foolproof way of that it can tap to your outdoor water spigot as well. I'm going to set it up on a four zone uh, water timer, Shane, that actually will set up with your smartphone. So you can set the watering schedule from your smartphone with this company called Melnor. Um, they make these this product. And so I, I basically want to create this high-tech vegetable garden, like smart urban farming. That's like the new – it's not even like a trend yet. I'm making this a trend because uh, I want to grow food and I'm incredibly lazy. Uh, <laughs> I feel like if I can take it. myself out of the equation, Shane, of this whole gardening – so you got sun, you got the water – you know, as long as I'm not in, involved in this equation, I think I'm going to be a real successful urban gardener. <laughs> Seriously, I'm going to be a real that. success the less I'm involved. That's really what it boils down to. Yes, and oh, I'm front-loading. So I've been front-loading all this work to create this system because once it's built, I'm telling you, I'm going to try. I might even have a side hustle selling like lettuce and spinach at like the local farmer's market because <laughs> – I'm going to be like growing some serious amount of food that I couldn't possibly eat all and or give to other people. It's either that or I'm going to donate it to um, the food bank because I heard they take fresh food, especially if you bring they it do. first thing in the morning. So either way, I'm becoming an urban farmer. I'm going to grow all this food and I'm going to do the minimal amount of work because I created a system that can do it all for me. I love it. HandyAndyMedia.com for more details. Gophers and moles. What do you got? Yeah, so I wanted to talk about uh, what you can do if you have gophers and moles in your yard because we've talked about all the other types of insects and, you know, squirrels and and raccoons. But uh, gophers and moles are a problem a lot of people have. And typically you, you can see the mole holes around your yard. And, you know, this is okay if you live in a rural area, but if you have a nice, like, you know, backyard or lawn or even if you're growing vegetables right in the ground – this can be a problem. So, you know, one way is to trap them, but you kind of want to eliminate or avoid doing that. And the first thing you want to do is eliminate the food sources for the mole. And it's that grub that we talked about that the crows mm-hmm. like, the Schaefer beetle, that that grub is what the moles are looking for. And 
that's really how you want to start is try to remove that. You can use repellents. And a, one of the natural ways is using castor oil. Uh, to You mix that with a little bit of dish detergent and you can actually make your own home remedy and then spray your yard or wherever you see the moles. They don't like the smell of that and it really deters them away. Another thing is coyote urine, which we've talked about before. Uh, yeah, that's actually – that's a good one. I, I still want to figure out how they collect the coyote. Well, urine, that's the but. thing. It's like, whose job is it? That's the part that gets me, right? It's like, okay, well, congratulations. You're hired. Here's your, here's your first task. Could you, could, you, could you imagine you're at a cocktail party? It's like, so what do you do? I collect yeah. coyote urine. Like, you, that, that's just a conversation starter right there. But if you're going to do it, you got to be, you got to own it. You got to be proud of it. Like, you got to say it like you just did. You were like, I, sir, collect coyote urine. Yeah, You'd be surprised like a, how bad of aim they have. I don't know. But yeah, coyote urine seems to be very valuable. You know? Maybe that, maybe that might be my new side hustle uh, to try to collect coyote urine. But oh, in terms God. of moles, in terms of moles and gophers, uh, there is this actually they're a high-tech solution. They're called these sonic spikes. And what they do is they use this electronic pulse that creates this irritating sound. Humans can't hear it, but it drives pests away. And I've been using this to get rid of like rats and mice in my backyard, but I didn't know that they had one for go uh, moles and gophers. So these ones, you kind of just, it has a little tiny uh, spike. You insert it into the ground and, and it just kind of like, you know, makes all the, the moles probably go into your neighbor's yard rather than yours. So oh, even these, better. these are, and then you can create, you can buy these trap and release kits as well. that will actually trap them, but that's kind of the last resort. Basically you want to remove the, um, you know, the, the food sources. You also want to use even like plants like marigolds and dandelions. They don't like the scent of that. So if you can create a little flower beds around the areas, that's another way to avoid them. But, um, you know, last resort is the trap and release. But you definitely want to try those if you do have mole and gopher problems in your backyard. I know that you said there that um, it's less of a problem if you're rural. It is uh, just a different kind of problem. And you know what it is for the rural folks? It's broken legs. It's all the dogs and or the goats if you got, like, the small farm animals. Uh, your dog running around, horses. You can't have horses and gophers. Gophers are a real problem if you have horses, right? They're running along. They step in a gopher hole. I know that one of the big things for me when we go to the barn and I take uh, my moose of a dog with me, um, I can only let her run in the parking lot. I can't let her run in the fields because of the gopher holes. So yeah, it's so equally as much of a problem. Yeah, I, I actually never – I think it's just a harder problem to deal with uh, in a rural area rather than just in a confined area of your yard. Wow. Little buggers anyway. They are. Oh, they're cute. <laughs> but, but you know, that, that sonic ultrawave stuff, I use this for mice because once I opened up my barbecue – and there was a mouse in there eating up like all the oil in there. And I got traumatized. Really? So every time I open it up for the first time, I'm like, is there, is there a mouse in here? So uh, I use that I sonic, know. this like sonic thing. I can't hear it, but it's just sitting out in the back and I haven't seen any kind of rats or mice uh, around. So oh, that's cool. That, that's, that's something you definitely want to uh, try first. Well, much excitement in my family when the Apple, uh, when the Apple keynote things happen and they, share all the fancy fancies of the new, which, of course, is the uh, the teenagers with their champagne dreams on their dad's Pepsi income. So that's a problem. But that being said, there is a new laptop in our future because my son's is 
getting a little beat up. My daughter doesn't care so much, so she'll probably, you know, I got to get a new battery put in that one and get a new charger for it. And then he'll probably get mine and I will get the new MacBook Air because, you know, I figure the guy whose name is on the credit card probably gets the new one. Seems fair to me. Um, exciting things from Apple. Yeah, so it wasn't the announcement for um, their new products per se, Shane. It was their Worldwide Developers Conference. So this is actually aimed towards the developers, and it's also a time for them to update their iOS and, and really showcase the new features. But what's important for us outside of the developers and what's important for the public is it really kind of tells you where Apple is going, where their vision is for all of their devices. And the one thing that... Apple has done a just a remarkable job is the seamless integration between all of their devices. But th what they've done is they started to take feedback from their actual users and implemented those changes. And the big ones had to do with iMessage. Now, for the first time, you're going to have the ability to edit or unsend a message that you sent. And for anyone that's ever sent a drunk text, you're going to be very happy to know that you got about a 15-minute window now to edit that message after you sent it or delete it altogether. And if you delete a message, you have the ability to recover it for up to 30 days. So if in a moment of uh, emotions, you decide to delete this message that you didn't want to see and then later on you decide you want to undelete it, you, you now have that option. There's also the ability to mark unread threads. So if you read a thread in the iMessage, but you don't have time to get back to somebody, you can now mark it unread, just like you would in an email. Um, that was a, a feature that a lot of people had been asking. And also dictation. A lot of people are now using their voice to dictate text, and they made it a better seamless integration between voice and touch. So if you're dictating with your voice, the keyboard's going to stay there. So you can kind of switch back before, you know, using your voice, using the keyboard all at the same time. And these were changes that, you know, iPhone users had been asking for, and Apple uh, made that with the iOS 16 updates that they announced today. Very cool. Uh, most exciting thing on there for you. I like the marking on red, uh, you know, to save messages. Cause I always do that. I open a message and I'm like, ah, and I'm afraid to open it. Cause I'm like, oh, I'll read it later. But then you might miss something. And the very last line of the message that's not in the summary says, I need to hear back right away or something. Right. Yeah. But I think the reason why people had to ask for this, it was already a feature that you could get inside Slack, in Trello, and other messaging apps. So it was only a matter of time before people are like, how come I can't do this in iMessage? Come on, Apple, let us do this. And and they finally uh, let that. The, the one feature that really stuck up with me was the parental controls and screen times. Because as any parent will know, you have to manage the screen time of your kids and you know, for Apple users, you have the ability to really, um, you know, manage their, your child's phone in terms of the permissions of what they can see or what they can't do, how much internet access they have. But for the first time, your child can now message the parent and ask, can I have 30 more minutes of uh, screen time? And the parent can just say yes without having to go into the settings and allow that. They can do it all through the messaging. So essentially what's happening, Shane, is back in the day, you know, kids would have like, you know, you, you can make an allowance and make a couple bucks for doing chores. But now I think parents can use screen time or increasing screen time 
as the digital allowance that to give to kids these days. And now you could do it over iMessage. I thought that was a very, it just shows what kind of era that we live in when kids don't want money per se. They just want internet access, more screen time so they can play video games or, or watch YouTube videos. Well, the irony for me is that most kids believe that the internet is, is like that. Like you just run out of internet. So I mean, that's kind parents of have done a very good job then because so, I really encourage parents to control the, the amount of screen time because you got to let kids be kids. You know, we are we, we take that for granted that we didn't have the Internet, you know, in our childhood. But you got all these iBabies, these kids who grew up on iPhones, on iPads, and, and they just don't know what life was like before that. But you really yeah. want them to go ride a bike and and, you know, get your knees dirty, uh, so to speak, just be a kid. And so limiting screen time, you can definitely do that. Well, it's cool. And by the way, you don't have to talk to your kids anymore. <laughs> they can just send you a message on the phone. Oh, this happens in so many families awesome. where they'll text and be like, dinner's ready instead of, you know, yelling out the door. Um, that, that's just the, the, the way it is. But one thing that you mentioned, you know, I'm starting to realize that the ecosystem that you pick whether it's iOS or Android, this is a really big uh, a commitment because what you're noticing is families are all adhering to this one ecosystem, which means if you're an iPhone user and you give your kid an iPhone as their first phone, chances are this is a generational commitment to this mm -hmm. ecosystem. So it's something that you really should think about closely and discuss with your family members because I've seen it happen time and time again where there'd be one Android holdout in a family and everyone else is on iMessage and they just reluctantly switch to iPhone uh, just because they, they don't want to be the one left out. And chances are it's very hard. There's so much friction to switch from one ecosystem to the other that you're likely to stay in there. So you should really think closely about what ecosystem you want to be in for the future because all of your digital life is going to live in that ecosystem and it's hard to move it or migrate it to the other ones. Yeah, my uh, my brother-in-law did that. He was a Apple user, went to Android, sort of bit into the whole freedom of whatever whatever and then found it was a lot of work and he got into the Google Home stuff and then decided because everyone else was going back, they wanted to go back to Apple. So now he had a house filled with Google Home stuff. And um, and now what? So he used the Google app to control his stuff, so he doesn't use HomeKit. But, you know, it's an expensive endeavor. And they get you for life, man. That's the deal. They get you for life. It's uh, once you're in, you're in. Drink the Kool-Aid. HandyAndyMedia.com. It's Andy Barrar, ShiftHeads.ca, to check out the video if you want to see what's happening, too. Let us know when the blueberries come and the weed goes. I will, for sure, Shane. Thanks for listening to the Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.